so now I'd like to call up this uh, for the evening, Mr. Scott Hennekins. He is our guest of honor tonight, former CEO of Volcano Corp, and now CEO of Verb Surgical. Hey. Welcome, everyone. So now that I've plied you with drink and Exactly. Food, I, I definitely feel <laughs> 10 years older, not five years older. Activist shareholders will do that to you. <laughs> yeah. So this hotel, you told me tonight, held some special place in your heart. You want to share with the group why? Get them on yeah, your side Yeah, no, quick. 27 years, four months ago, I got married here. So it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was uh, it was definitely a hipper, cooler place. It was the Meridian. You know? Oh yeah. Half the people spoke French. It had a cool vibe. <laughs> and, uh, now my wife dropped me off tonight. She's out with her high school girlfriends. We live in San Diego. She drove up, but we went out back to the to the gazebo and took our picture. She looks a lot closer to what she looked like 27 years ago than I do. So, mm. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I, I love that. So little. These are the, those little. Uh, coincidences that happen with this event that just like, that, that I love them. I love them. And so let's talk about Verb Surgical because I, I think it's just, it touches on so many things that, that fascinate us. You know, first, it's the collaboration between Google and Johnson and & Johnson. And, and it deals with robotic surgery. So it's like, it, it's hitting all these awesome buzzwords. And, um, you know, in our discussion, we talked about one of the premises of that Verb Surgical is built upon is that there are something like, I think it's 133 million surgeries a year globally that don't happen because of lack of access to surgery. And talk me through that premise a little because robotic surgery makes up, what, 5% of all surgeries. And, and you know, the leader of, in robotic surgery is intuitive surgical right now. And, and you know, that's, I would not call that a low cost provider by any stretch. So, so what, what do you see in this 133 million projected surgeries a year that yeah, don't no, happen? It's, it's, um, so leaving Volcano, having a big success, I, I plan to take a couple of years off, enjoy myself. And then I got a call from the guys at, at, at J&J, Gary Pruden and Alex Skorsky, the CEO there. J&J DC had funded Digirad and also uh, Volcano as investors and said, hey, we want, to, we want to create this new company to change the future of, of surgery. And I really wasn't interested, but I said, I'll go up there and just take a look. Hey, who doesn't want a free you know, lunch right at the Google campus and get a ride around on a, on a bike and can even get a haircut for free for crying out loud. So, <laughs> um, so I, I, I went up and the thing about Google that really got me excited, other, you know, shoot, they have more money than God, um, was yeah. that, you know, they, they have these moonshots where they want to make a big difference. And so when you look at this and you say there are 8 billion people on Earth and only 3 billion have access to surgery, that, that's incredible. I, 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 didn't, I didn't appreciate that. And that you could be part of something. It's temporal in nature. It may take 20 or 30 years, but you could kickstart a process to build a platform that could grow into giving access to surgery for those other 5 billion people was, you know, just spent, it, sent, it's, it still sends shivers up my spine, yeah. like to make, to have the opportunity 
to get to make that difference in the world mm -hmm. by creating a platform that could include robotics and then machine learning and data analytics. Uh, yeah, it was, was awe-inspiring and, and super exciting, you know, for me and made me, you know, say, all right, I'm done with Afri Africa vacations and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and golf in Scotland. I got to, you know, I, this is more important. So when they started the company, they told you, you're not going to have to worry about capital. You're not going to have to worry about funding. You're going to have to worry about changing the world. Uh, personally, that proposition might make me a little bit nervous. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I know what it feels like, like to be one of my kids now. you got these like really two wealthy parents who are very demanding, and you have no reason to fail. I mean, none. I mean... They're two of the seven largest market cap companies in the world. You got all this Google technology. Google's, I mean, JJ's the largest med tech company. If you think about, you know, you and I talked about it, like we're, we're, on, the, we're on the fringe of this next med tech 3.0 era where kind of 1.0 was this industrial space. You made devices, then 2.0, you made devices with some microelectronics and some digital, but mainly analog. Now we're at 3.0 where you have smart devices with machine learning capabilities, connectivity, data, all this stuff is free with computing power and arguably J&J is you know, the biggest and the best at, at MedTech 2.0. Google's the best at information technology. You put them together, um, that's super exciting and intriguing about being able to change the world. That, most definitely, but I mean, how do you... I mean, doesn't it? And hey, here's $400 million to go do it. Not have to worry about <laughs> you know, financing. And, but you know, it's a $10 to $20 billion opportunity yeah. with all of Google's technologies, J&J's, yeah. putting them together uh, to go make this happen. But how do you not look at it like boiling the ocean? I mean, how do you break that down? How do you change the world? How do you start that first step? Well, I mean, I mean, who's anyone here run a marathon? Anyone? Anyone? So, hey, two okay. people. And how'd you run the marathon? Huh? How'd you run the marathon? You know, one step at a, oh, three of my Medtronic friend. One step at a time, right? You got to train, you got to prepare and, yeah. and do it. So, uh, similar here, th this is something that will take time. There, there's going to be stages of introductions of products that will have you know, first generation technology, second generation, third generation, where mm -hmm. uh, there's gonna be actionable information, then semi-autonomous information, then autonomous capabilities built into a product over time. But you gotta get started, and, and you gotta put that platform out there mm -hmm. uh, to collect the data to do the things you need to do with machine learning. I mean, I would imagine this is a much different sort of challenge than the other startups you've worked at in terms of you were employee number one here, right? Yep. So like employee number one, you walk in, you put the picture of the family on the desk. There are what? no desks. You, know <laughs> <mean>? <laughs> you sit on your ergonomically correct. Uh, yeah, you get a ball, ball. And you get a little you know, space in the middle of the room. Seriously, how do you even begin to start carving this out? I mean, like, what, 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 cause I'm trying to get to like, what, what, in as much as you can share, what will the products that you create look like? Or is it a product? Is it a... Yeah, so we, we, we think in terms of a, of a platform. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we think, 
you know, in, in the worlds of surgery, there was open surgery, that was, that was surgery 1.0, then there was laparoscopic surgery 2.0, robotic surgery 3.0. We, we think in terms of this, this new era of digital surgery, mm -hmm. what we call surgery 4.0, that a number of key opinion leaders have talked about, and we've, we've adopted that language, which is to say that robotics is a tool. It, it'll be used on open surgeries, laparoscopic surgeries, data analytics and machine learning, again, working on open and laparoscopic uh, procedures as a, as a tool. But you've, you know, that, that, that's again evolutionary as, as you take place. So the product that we'll have, it has, we're not a robotics company, we're a platform company. There'll be robotics, which are a key element, advanced instrumentation, advanced visualization, data analytics and machine learning. You, you've heard of things like Google Brain, TensorFlow, mm -hmm. DeepMind that beat Go, and connectivity. All of these robots, just like every Google driverless car is connected and all the data goes up, you have learning that comes back to uh, the device. All of our devices will, you know, will, be, will be connected. But generation one is gonna have a level of information different from you know, mm -hmm. two years out, you know, four years out right. relative to its capability. So there, there's generational iterative process mm -hmm. uh, that's gonna go into this. Just like you know, a, a, a Tesla car, every Tesla car, I, I was at a meeting a, a couple of months ago and you know, it's kind of a knock on Google, but you know, the Google guy got up and said, hey, over the last two or three years, we've got a million miles uh, on these cars on self-driving. The next speaker was Tesla, and the guy got up and said, we've got a million miles in the last week. The last week. I mean, by putting the technology in all of their cars, every car, you know, I have one, goes up, gets sent back down, they're collecting all that data which you can have better algorithms, they got more data. It's all about the, it's all about the data, mm -hmm. uh, which is, which is in, incredible relative to a connected platform and learning. And I think that's gonna happen across MedTech over the next 10 to 15 years, whether it's with Google and things that will happen there or IBM Watson that Medtronic is, is working with on their platform. It's all good for, for patients and, and what's gonna happen around the world. But, but I mean, Tesla's a car, and that's very tangible. But I mean, sort of what you're talking about, the value prop of Tesla is that it's this sort of group hive thinking automobile that works on the power of the collective. I mean, do you, is that sort of similar to what you're envisioning as a product? I mean, so what, what we're envisioning as a product is, you know, today, we're, you know, I, I would compare it to a mainframe computer, the Intuitive System. Intuitive, great company. Incredible what they've what they've created. I mean, heck, we'd all be proud. Of, super proud. Three billion dollars in revenue, twenty-seven billion dollar market cap. Um, but like mainframe computers, they had a hard time transitioning to minis, to PCs, to cell phones. And really, only one company transitioned from even PCs to phones. That was mm -hmm. Apple. Everybody else, it's taken a next a, a different company to disrupt and create that new platform. I look at. What we're doing, what Medtronic's doing, as moving from mainframes to PCs, mm -hmm. where robotics and those platforms will be always there, always on, like a PC mm -hmm. on every desktop. Every OR will have one. Back to my volcano days, we said, we need to put our system in every single, uh, every single interventional cardiology cath lab. You know, five years later, we had 8,000 installed systems. Between us and Boston, we were in every single cath lab. We, 
you know, had 80% of the installed base because we said, hey, we're gonna have an open platform with all of these apps. Similarly, we, it's our intention to be open platform, have multiple apps. So we put in this platform that allows it to be always there, always on, available to help you as the surgeon do surgery. If that's one portion of the procedure, it's the entire procedure, we're indifferent. If that's just using an advanced instrument from J&J &J on it, if it's the advanced visualization, because now we have machine learning on visualization to help you identify a ureter or some other, a nerve, et cetera, or if it's you know, the segmentation, because we can track through your procedure, the steps relative to simulation and training, all of those are gonna be part of a total solution. The product no more is no longer robotics. The product is, it's, it's you know, robotics, the advanced instruments, the visualization, machine learning, the connectivity. Back to, like, my, like when I was at, at Volcano, we were competing with Boston, and Boston would say, well, we have a little better IVUS catheter, and I was like, it doesn't matter. We have two kinds of IVUS catheters, coronary, peripheral, pressure wires, flow wires. That's the product. Like, who cared if Lotus 1, 2, 3 was a little better than Excel? Didn't matter. The product was Microsoft Office. Mm -hmm. You had to have PowerPoint, Word, you know, inter, you know, the Internet Explorer, you know, the whole thing was, was, was the product. Now, at the same time, you can't be the copier, printer, fax. It's a shitty copier, a shitty phone, a shitty, <laughs> yeah. you know, we've all been there. I mean, it's got to be, you know, best in class in yeah. each, of those, each of those segments. So, so uh, I don't know if that answers your question about the product. No, it does. But it's, it does. it's a platform that, you know, the vision is it's in every OR. Every single one of them is connected uh, to the cloud. We're you, we have a whole suite of products at Google. Google Cloud, YouTube for organizing all the, all the videos, three different machine learning algorithms with TensorFlow, uh, Google Brain, and, and uh, DeepMind, uh, AR, VR, um, all, all their gaming stuff both Android and Chrome from an operating system, you know, all the cybersecurity. You go, if you're a, another company trying to replicate that, you gotta go to seven or eight different, mm -hmm. different vendors. I, I, you know, I tried to create an operating system for Volcano when we switched from being a single app to multiple app. It took four years and $30 million and all these engineers who were, were, were good but not great. Like, I wireframe this product solution two months later you have full access to Google's, all of their software, and mm -hmm. you have a fully working prototype. And, and the business model in terms of how, I mean, I, I assume this is going to still be pretty, pretty normal standard business model, or are you looking at something more innovative in the way that Google sort of learned how to, what did you say, they skimmed 2% off the world's economy? Yeah, no, I said, yeah, those, <laughs> Google is the most incredible business ever, right? right. I mean. You, you really, you have a monopoly on skimming two to 3% off of the world economy. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, <laughs> right? Pretty good. I mean, Larry Page and Sergey Brin are, 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 you know, did well for themselves. Yeah, they're smart guys. Um, smart guys. But no, I mean, um, the, the opportunity we have is to just to have two businesses in the sense of, one is the surgical business. The other one is mm -hmm. all those Google technologies that I mentioned where there's eight or nine of them that it could apply not only to us, but can be a solution to if you're an EP company, if you're a cardiac surgery company, if you're mm -hmm. a visualization company, if you're an orthopedic company. 
the same things apply where you, you're going to want all of these devices. I don't know if you're ResMed with sleep apnea, if you're, you know, a, a Pixis, you know, pill dispensing machine. I mean, you want that connectivity to the cloud, learn all this data, get this machine learning and benefit that you, that you can push down, but also giving, like you all get all these benefits, whether you're on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, where you're not paying for anything, but you're getting benefit, but they're getting benefit. You know, by being able to advertise you, get all, all of your data, there's an opportunity for another business to collect and have mm -hmm. all that. IBM Watson's pursuing that aggressively, and, yeah. and Google's now uh, setting that up more on pharma and, and biotech to, to do the same. I've heard, I've heard often that surgeons are more like artists than, than, than our engineers. Uh, do you think they kind of bristle at the notion that they need more uniformity or they need, need more assistance or, or, or the help of a you know, machine learning algorithm or something like that? Yeah, I, our, our experience, we, we're, we've, we've had well over 100 surgeons visit us in the last year, all of the key opinion leaders from around the world, and they are super excited about uh, what's, what's gonna happen and how surgery's gonna change over the next five years. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, look, they, they can now understand better what they're doing and they can also will have a platform for sharing that uh, throughout the world to help educate people around the world to yeah. do surgery better. So um, I think they, they, they all recognize they can get better and they, they wanna follow that person, they wanna, they wanna uh, share with that person. This, this allows you to collaborate, to understand. Uh, and you know, when you're, when you're a surgeon, you're sitting at the bottom of this triangle in your local hospital and you have your fellows, you have your people in your program, your, your circle of getting information is, is pretty limited versus all of us where we're using the internet and, and you know, I'm sitting in my home and I'm, you know, last night I'm, you know, asking, saying, okay, Google, you know, what's the magic word? You mm -hmm. know, all the different things you can learn and get, the surgeon doesn't have that access in the OR. They can't pull in videos. They can't do pre-procedural planning. They can't simulate the case and, and, and do it. All these things they want to have because they want to deliver, they want to deliver great. They, they went into healthcare, they went into being a surgeon to, to, to do remarkable things. And so our goal is to give them that actionable information and those tools to be great every single day. Mm. So what, there's not a lot to argue with uh, about that. And it's flexible, it's optionable. You know, hey, you do this procedure, these 17 steps, that's fine. This guy does them 15. Here, you can now start seeing your 17 steps versus his 15 or, or hers and, and look at those differences and outcomes because you're following them and you're sharing. If you want to, it's all open or closed. Mm -hmm. It's just like anything else. You, you can have the privacy of, uh, that you want or you can share if you want. Is this what you mean by like the democratization or democratizing surgery? I, I read that. Yeah, That's no, our, our goal is to democratize surgery. And what we mean by that is, is again, solving for those five billion people that don't have access to surgery. Right. It's, it's 30 years from now, you have machine learning, you have data analytics, you have robotic systems that are smaller, cheaper. They can be everywhere. And you can do surgery you know, locally, remotely. You can divide up the manufacturing process mm -hmm. so that they're doing those 10 or 15 minutes that are super complicated. Other people that are less skilled are doing other portions uh, of it. Again, that, that's not for 
today, that's not for tomorrow, but you could see as you develop the platform where you could go mm. to deliver healthcare everywhere in the world for people. So you said you're, you're really excited about machine learning and its impact on med tech. I saw you said that at the Cleveland Clinic. Are you, I mean, are you a techie? I mean, are you a guy who's an early adopter of tech? Are you a sci-fi fan? I mean, tell me, like, what <laughs> kind of, like, got you no, to I, I about was, this? No, I was definitely not the kid watching Star Trek or, or, or Star Wars. I was watching, you know, the Angels here locally lose a lot as a kid growing up. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, o o over time, I definitely have, have fell in love with, with technology and med tech. And... The opportunity to change the world, uh, you know, yeah. with it. I, I've had the the privilege to get to work in this industry, like like the rest of you, on everything from artificial hearts at, at Edwards to heart valves to bypass surgery and then minimally invasive surgery and and non-invasive imaging to find uh, heart attack. And you know, you you feel a, a, a privilege, but also an obligation once you've been in that position to to make stuff happen. You know, I, you know, you've joked with me. I sent all my emails, go, go, go. Yeah. There's power in action. That's part of the reason we named the company Verb. We want to take action. We want to, it's kind of a force equation relative to what's possible. Let's, let's try and make everything that's possible in our lifetime happen. Yeah. Um, and, sh you know, shame on us if, if, if we don't. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, technology... Uh, offers a lot of a, a lot of potential. We, you know, we got to manage it. I mean, I wouldn't be that afraid of like the singularity is near. Like being at Google and you know uh, seeing really where we are with machine learning. We, we yeah. don't have a lot to worry about in the short term, um, in the next 20, 30, 40 years. But there's a lot of benefit that I think that that we can incorporate into to yeah. devices uh, uh, to figure things out cheaper, faster, better. So you're not a sci-fi fan, so my question, does the future of medicine look more like the robot doctors of Empire Strikes Back or the tricorder of Star Trek? Wouldn't be a... Uh, I actually one have the tricorder, and, and I actually have their, <laughs> their, their scanning surgical machine is, is in my presentation decks because I, yeah. I think they're, you know, you know, we're within 50 years of some yeah. of those, those capabilities based upon... I mean, look at like what a company like HeartFlow is, is doing you know, write down with non-invasive CT imaging to tell you, you know, what, what to treat, not to treat, mm. in the cloud, you know, and then you can envision robotics with Corindus doing, yeah. you know, uh, stenting without angiography. And, uh, it's, it's almost like, you know, processing a, a CNC machine to, to go do things. And I, I think we'll have steps like that that it can happen in, in surgery as, as yeah. well. But I mean, like in... Th in th 50 years, I mean, do, do you think the future looks more like a robot is operating on you or is it a person with a, ro like a robotic device that is giving you? I think a robot's operating on you. Yeah. In 50 years, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you play, if you can, look, I mean, the, if you play out the continued acceleration of, of technology, mm -hmm. uh, and Moore's law goes, you know, to three years, even four years, I mean, computing power every 10 years, I think the number is something like it's 10,000 times yeah. greater. 10,000 times times 10 years? Yeah. I mean, like 10, I mean, five times over a 50-year period? And what can be learned in the computing power at that point in time? Um, there's an ex 
you know, there's a, a rapid acceleration that will, yeah. that will take place. So I think there's a surgeon there that's, that's guiding things, but you're gonna have advanced algorithms that will tell you all of your imaging information. If you wanna suture, it, it's gonna be able to suture much better than, yeah. uh, than a human can. I mean, the combination of the two working together uh, is, is definitely the future. Uh, yeah, and, I, and it kind of skip, I'm skipping ahead a little bit because it does bring me to something like, I, I mean, I read Stephen Hawking the other, recently say, you know, that we've seen a lot of sort of monumental changes in terms of the voting patterns and, you know, Brexit and our recent election and, and some of the other more uh, sort of surprising results. And he said, really, I mean, that was, that is sort of the, uh, the vocalization of the masses about the concerns about their economic consequences of globalization and accelerating technologies. And he said the automation of factories has already decimated jobs in the traditional manufacturing and the rise of artificial intelligence is likely to extend this job destruction deep into the middle class with only the most caring, creative, or supervisory roles remaining. So, I mean, since we're looking at this 50 years from the future. I mean, do you think that's something that you guys have to take into account? Is that, will there be a backlash against the robot? Um, I, I don't think that's something in the next 10 or 15, 20 years. Yeah, I'm talking about the but 50 year if kind it's of. 50 years, no, I, I definitely think it's something that society needs to, will at some point need to start being concerned about mm -hmm. and, and worried about. I, I don't, you know, Tom Friedman has his, his new book out. There's a great line in there. You know, the factory of the future will have one person and a dog, you know, and, and, and the line was something around, you know, the, the dog is just there to, you know, to, to bark at the human or, or for the human to feed the dog or, you know, the human doesn't have a job. It's like the dog has a job. I mean, right, right. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're headed to places like that. I, look, I'm not knowledgeable enough to, to, to think about all the implications and the ins and outs. You know, also in Friedman's book, he's talked about in all these areas where there's been automation, everything from an ATM, you know, to the to the airline industry, there end up being more more jobs than there were be, before in mm -hmm. those industries because the cost of them becomes so much lower. Yeah. They become accessible to so many more uh, people. So mm -hmm. again, it's temporal in nature where you're going to go through those phases. Hey, you know maybe the future is we only all have to work 10 hours a week and yeah. there's robots doing all this stuff and we can have the aristocratic lifestyles of, you know, of pleasure. Hmm. I don't know, and leisure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or like in the Jets. Or, or you, know, you can also go to the Terminator. And <laughs> you know, the people who are controlling yeah. the power and there's 90% of the people who don't. And so, the, you know. That's, yeah, all right. So, so we're hanging out at the beach Working 10 hours a week, or, or we're, we're getting, we're fodder. running away from robots. Those are your choices. <laughs> All choose the beach. You know. Yeah. Just, I mean, you know, I kind of just wanted to go there because, I mean, we're talking about these very big concepts, but I mean, I think it is something that, that is, is becoming more, and I don't think people think about the fact that, that healthcare might be on one of these, but healthcare is an obvious place where robotic or robots should, like, we're going to run out of the amount of caretakers that we have for the yeah, aging no, population. Yeah, I, I, was, I was, you know, watching, you know, a CNN program yesterday, Fareed's show, Fareed's show, whatever is always oh, his name. And, you know, in Japan, I think it's 40% of their population will be over 65 in 20 years. Mm. And they don't have enough caregivers. And it's like robots are being developed to help solve that, that problem. I mean, Astro Teller, the, the Google guy who runs X, 
he has this great graph where it's humans can, can only adapt at this rate. I mean, that's the, kind of the proven ad, adaptation curve and technology is doing this. And so there's, there's a gap between the technology curve is accelerating too fast versus the humans. And it's not just humans, it's, it's governments mm -hmm. as well, right? So if you look at Uber, Airbnb, they're, they're stuck because their technology is above the human and the, and the government adaptation curve, right. and you gotta solve for that. So we, as an industry, you know, whether it's Avamed, MDMA, all of us, we, you know, I think we need to be pushing so that we can get that government adaptation curve to be faster so that we can force you know, data anonymized to be available so we can have solutions versus being limited so it's not, it's, you know, not 20 or 30 years like Epic and Cerner, you know, open their platforms up to have data accessibility or, you know, HIPAA laws with anonymization are adapted so that you can get data as a vendor to, uh, n n nothing to do with a person, but, but, but figure out solutions to help people because people want those those, those, those solutions to, uh, to happen. Uh, so we gotta get that curve to go up. And, I, and we as the United States have become, in my view, more risk adverse. Other countries like China are just gonna say, screw it, we're, we're, we're moving the curve to this rate because we're gonna make a totalitarian decision and they're doing it in genomics right now, right? So they're not, we're, we're gonna fall behind because you can't do research that you can do other places in the world you're gonna to have to get that curve up. Now, 21st century curves, I think, was a, was a, good, a good step last week. Uh, you know, Advamed and MDMA and others have worked uh, passionately to, to get that, that moving, moving forward. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it addresses moving that curve up so that it can be more equal to the technology acceleration curve. Let's take a step back here and Not look. Not to bore you all, but no, it's a... get excited about this. <laughs> I would imagine people are a little, I mean, like a little more excited about talking to you about your work now that you get to say, I'm running Verb Surgical and I'm doing this Google J&J thing. I mean, is it, do you find people are more interested in that than say they were in Volcano or? Although Volcano was a really awesome name. Uh, yeah, it was a great name. I mean, who doesn't want to put a catheter in your heart called Volcano? I mean, that was, that was, that was great branding, right? I mean. No one, but hey, when you think of apple, you don't think of a, you know, an apple you eat, right? Right. So uh, no, no, there's 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 definitely a lot more interest. I mean, look, we had a big vision at Volcano, which was to solve heart attacks, yeah. and we made a lot of progress. We did the first natural history study, published in a New England Journal of Medicine, Prospect, 3,000 plus patients. That data is getting used by HeartFlow and Philips and others uh, now with some machine learning. There, there's, there's signals there to help figure out which plaques are likely to progress and cause heart attacks. We were the surrogate endpoints on all of the major uh, uh, statin lowering drugs for, for 10 years that helped get all those approved. So, hey, we, 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 made, a, we made a huge impact. But, hey, there is something that's, that's a different level of sexy uh, around Google, J&J, robotics, machine learning, this next 50 years question, how you yeah. can change things that uh, um, is, is impactful. It must be fun for you. I mean, like, to be there in this place that now everybody thinks is synonymous with world-changing innovation. And, you know, you're, you, you told me you're a startup guy. You've been in startups for 20 years. And now you're, you're working right next door, right, to where they founded Google. 
your offices are right next door, right? Or in the yeah. same building or something like that? And yeah, 2400 Bayshore was their first office, and their second office was 2450. So we're in 2450. It's pretty yeah. weird, like 15 years ago. Yeah. You know, Larry Page and Sergey Brin were there as two like PhD guys yeah. with this little company, Google, which is now the largest market cap company in the world. That's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy to think about like 15 years ago. I know. You know they were, you know, on rollerblades cruising around in there, like <laughs> talking about how they were going to do search better. Yeah. I mean, they had no idea how big the impact could yeah. be. But that's often the case. Like a lot of you guys are startup people. Yeah. That's often the case. I mean, you start, you adapt, you change. The vision gets bigger and it becomes bigger. You're in the game and, and you see things and new opportunities uh, are, are created by being there and, and being open to making those changes. Every, mm -hmm. you know, I've been involved in, in 10 startups. Nine out of 10 of those, you know, ended up doing something entirely different than what we really yeah. Uh, started out to do. But so. did you start out with that massive um, idea, though? I mean, you said you started out to stop heart attacks. I mean, that's yeah, pretty big. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't you, do it. Yeah, I you mean, narrowed we, your... we still created a company with almost a $2 billion market cap. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we changed, we adapted. We, we created color television, you know, for intravascular ultrasound mm -hmm. and won that market at the same time we're continuing to progress on the on the heart attack uh, mm. side of things and went into pressure and flow and then into therapies and combining them. I mean, you know, we, if we were stuck to being a diagnostic for heart attacks and then try and prove it with therapy-wise, we would have died. Yeah. Um, you know, because we had three things, thermography, near-infrared, and virtual histology. None of them had a, had a good enough signal at the time yeah. and or the time to prove it and then prove the therapy would have been 10 years and $100 million, and we wouldn't have been able to raise the money or, or make it work. So, I mean, is Google's success replicable, do you think? Their success? Is it replicable? I mean, like, are you guys out to make another Google, or is it, are you out no, to just create I mean, the best medical look, device? there's not enough surgery to make, yeah. <laughs> to skim 2% <laughs> off the world economy. Um, that that equation doesn't, isn't replicable. I mean, right. that, that's a once in a, a lifetime uh, kind, of, kind of thing. But I, I think we can have you know, an impact on, you know, back to the 133 million people who need surgery who don't mm. have it. Uh, arguably, that has a greater social impact than you know, being able to search for the information. Well, I, I don't know. The information and knowledge has created so much. It's not fair to, yeah. to make that comparison. They're both very uh, important endeavors. I just wonder though, is the ecosystem different just because you're there in this really fertile environment? I mean, are you, in terms of your startup, does it feel like a typical startup or do you feel like, I mean, you're not because you have a $400 million startup, but I mean, what's the difference between a $25 million startup and a $400 million Oh, it's, it's very different. I mean, at, at Digirad and at Volcano or you know, CVI or, you know, these other things that I've been involved in. There, there were no free lunches, no free haircuts, <laughs> no free laundry. You know, th those things didn't, didn't, didn't exist. I mean, um, and, and at the, uh, but I think it's important to, to recognize that. So I still fly up there on Southwest. I still get the cheapest rental car I can get with, you know, like if they have the ones with the roll, roll downs versus electric, I'm like, yeah. I want that one. <laughs> um, just to set the example of, 
we're not going to waste money. We're, we're, you know, we're a startup. We need to be focused on what's important. The, the patient is important. So we draw our organization chart upside down. I'm at the bottom. Patients and physicians are at the top. And you know, that's our focus. Again, back to that word privilege. We, we have a privilege to get to work in this industry, solve these problems. Um, we don't want to waste capital. And I, I think you know, there, there are a number of these moonshots at Google that have not, have not worked out. We, we will not be one of them. We're very disciplined, very focused on, on delivering and have executed uh, accordingly. And part of that is we've got a team that's done a number of startups before and, and, and done them successfully, coupled with you know, an Ethicon that's a world leader in, in, in surgical instruments and Google on the technology. So we kind of have the best of, of all worlds, no financing risk. It's all 510K products, so there's not regulatory risk. There's not real technology risk. You know, technology is more temporal. You know, over time and what gets executed, and they're all you know they're all 510k. So mm. it doesn't have maybe some of the risks that a lot of other startups that I've been involved in that had financing risk, regulatory risk, technical risk, and market adoption risk. That's kind of why I liked it yeah. as well. I didn't feel like when I left Volcano, I said I will never do a startup from the beginning again. Then you know, seven months later, I was employee number one, but <laughs> it was. It was different. Those four risks that I talked about were mitigated to to retire. Yeah, I'd imagine that forty million's tranched, right? I mean, that's yeah, it's yeah. Not just like an ATM. Like, I would love to look at that balance. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be so cool. Let's go back just to you know, are there things you did at Volcano that you absolutely don't want to have to experience again? Uh, are there things that you definitely would replicate in terms of maybe moves that you made or perhaps mistakes that you made that you want to learn from? Yeah, no, I, I would say the, the, you know, Mary Lynn Gaddis is here, who, who I, I've worked with at Baxter, Digirad, Volcano, and she's our, our chief culture officer and, and do, doer of all. Um, so, you know, like her, big, her big main mission is we got to replicate the culture we've had at each of these companies where it's foundational to... To, to, to build great cultures that attract the best people so they can do great things and, and be happy uh, you know, in, their, in their work environment. So we, we've done that at, I was lucky enough to get a work at, at, at Baxter at Edwards under Mike Masalam and he had that, that culture aspect and then we did it at Tijeret, did it at Volcano. We're, we're doing it at, uh, at, at Verb and then get the best people, have the systems and processes you know, the other thing, you know, I told you we drew our organization charts upside down. Uh, the other thing is we, we have no policies we have, we, except one, which is do the right thing. So I felt like at a certain point we got too process-oriented at, at Volcano too early. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have the entrepreneurial people who say, oh, you know, there's, you know uh, uh, we, we got to be able to move fast, make decisions, not have any process. Then, you know, I had people and they're like, Oh, this place is out of control. There's no process. There's no systems. And you know, the answer, the truth is, is always somewhere in between. But what we've said is we're going to have one policy as long as we can, which is just do the right thing. Right. And we want to hire people who don't want to have any rules, that, that want to have that freedom. We try and give people responsibility and accountability, keep it that way as, as long as, uh, as possible. Uh, so that, that would be what I would take. Um, 
I, I don't ever really want to run a public company ever, ever again. Yeah, um, imagine. You know, you, you look at things like Howard Rood and when, what yeah. that guy is, he's just a terrific person. He's an entrepreneur. He's, and like everything he went through, um, you know, is, is ridiculous. The things like the last few years at Volcano with the, the threats from government relative to claims and off-label mm -hmm. just because it's a stick-up, you know, to pay money to them or, you know, having activists and investors. We, we, we've got to... We've got to clean some of that stuff up to allow innovation to, to happen. Um, so, I, I don't, I w don't miss that. Don't you know? Don't really want to do that. It's, it's a lot of fun being at this early stage where you can create these inflection points in innovation and value creation, not only economically but clinically. So you grew up in Riverside, California. I did. Real quick, what did you want to do when you grew up? What's that? What did you want to do when you grew up? Get the hell out of Riverside. <laughs> I mean, come on. Nobody's been there. You've all driven through there. Um, I mean, it's like, you got to be careful. Like I was telling these guys earlier, you got to be careful about places. They go, oh, it's an hour from the mountains. It's an hour from the beach. It's an hour from Palm Springs. I'm like, but you're there. I mean, it's like where the smog goes to die in Southern California. Um, so, uh, no, but hey, you know, adversity is, is a great thing. It's the thing I worry the most about with my kids. I, I joke with them that they have affluenza. You know, it's different growing up. You know, I, I spent every summer having to go work on my uncle's farms in Iowa and walking beans and little towns. And, you know, after you've seen, well, speaking back about technology, I mean, 1977, Star Wars played in that movie theater in Lamar's, Iowa every weekend the whole summer. So I think I saw it like <laughs> 17 times. Um, so, you know, this little town of 4,000 people, uh, but adversity is good, yeah. and that's part of the startup thing. Overcoming adversity and, and making it success is, is, a, is, is a great thing. But what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, it's a sad story. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I mean first, I, uh, I, I, I was a horrible athlete. I was, look, when I was 16, I was 5'5 five, five and 105 pounds with red hair, and I played the accordion, <laughs> not exactly a chick magnet. Um, you know, that was like the poor man's piano, the accordion. But um, so when I was 12, I, uh, I, I wanted to grow up and be the starting quarterback at USC and the starting point guard at UCLA. Then I found out you couldn't go to both places. And I was like, that really sucks. I was like super disappointed. Um, but in all, in a, that is a serious story. But I also, uh, a single parent family, I grew up in a bad part of Riverside. You know, in the neighborhood I grew up in, 23 kids, two went to college, at least 15 went to prison, a couple for murder. Uh, my own brother and sister, don't Google too deep into my name, you'll find, you know, prison and drugs and, and everything. And so I, I was very focused on being, getting out and making a difference mm -hmm. um, in the world and had a bunch of just fantastic mentors at the Y, at teachers, sports coaches who showed me a way, you know, to get out. I was fortunate enough to get a full academic scholarship to USC and, and uh, you know, I'm full of gratitude for the opportunities. And, and that, that fuels a fire in me today to give back and to try and do things uh, for others in, in, the, in the world. And, you know, it's something I've tried to impart very strongly in my kids, force them back to go back to those neighborhoods and see different things. and. And, and I, I think that has worked, I and mean, they, 
they're very much into it. My daughter is going to UCLA Law School. She wants, you know, to, to, to work for women's rights and, you know, uh, and the like. My daughter's going to med school, wants to work for, you know, in low-income areas to provide health care. And, mm -hmm. so. and her dad's going to change the world. Yeah, well, we all change the world, <laughs> don't we? I mean, that's that's the great thing. We all we have our, our our portion of making that happen. That's what's very cool. exciting about getting up every day. That's awesome. That's very exciting. Well, Scott, thank you so much yeah, for this absolutely. really fascinating discussion. And uh, we'll catch up with you in another couple of years and find all out right. far along. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invite.